Good morning to you. Welcome. It's good to have you here. Oh, thank you for the good morning back. That's good. Uh, growing old is not for the faint of heart. Yes, and uh, there are some of you out here who know exactly what I mean. I should know I've had two major heart uh, procedures in the past five years. So uh, that's, that's something that I didn't anticipate uh, as I grew older, but that I had, I had to endure. Uh, and growing older isn't something that you just feel overnight. It's, it sort of creeps up on you. You don't wake up one day and say, now I'm old. It's, it's, it's there a little bit at a time. And before, before you know it, I still get surprised sometimes when I look in the mirror and go, whoa, who's the old guy, right? So don't feel old inside. You can ask anyone uh, of age, they'll feel like, nope, I'm about 18. And if they haven't really matured that much, more like 14 sometimes. But it's just, it's, like, it's that way. I had a, an appointment with uh, a young man, counseling appointment, uh, couple months ago, and uh, he called about 10 minutes before the appointment time. It was early in the morning. He said, hey, I'm having a hard time finding it, and, and uh, can you sort of talk me in? So we began to talk and got to get to know him, and, and uh, so we, we talked away while he was driving, and, and uh, finally he was on my street, and my office is in, in a location where it's not easily recognizable. It looks more like, like just uh, residential housing there. So I wanted to go outside. So I'll go outside and I'll, and, and I'll just, I'll, I'll talk in. He said, okay, I'm on your street. So I'm, I'm outside, I'm talking and I, and, and I said, are you on the street? Yes. What do you see? Well, he said, I, I'm not sure. I said, well, any landmarks? No, it just all looks the same. I said, well, tell me the first thing you see that I could notice. He says, oh, I said, I, I see an old gentleman in a blue shirt talking on the phone. <laughs> And I swear to you, I looked up and down the street for an old gentleman toddling along, talking on the phone. And then he pulled right in front of me and I said, wait a second, I got a blue shirt. I got a phone. I said, are you calling me an old gentleman? We laughed, but it's true. I'm the old gentleman in the blue shirt. You know, we live in a culture where older people don't quite have the status or stature as compared to other cultures. If, if you live in a Latin culture or an African culture, uh, and certainly an Asian culture, uh, older people are given a little bit more honor, respect, sometimes even reverence. Our, our culture tends to be a little bit uh, more uncomfortable with older folk. We're not quite sure what to do with them past a certain age. Do we have them live with us? That's the right answer. Or do we find a facility that will provide care for them? All those questions. But as I reflect back on Renee, my wife, and, and my life, I, uh, I am always uh, reminded that some of the most meaningful times of our lives was a time when we were surrounded by and ministered to uh, by older people. Uh, we were in our Early, late, late 20s with a small son, about one year old, and we moved to Springfield, Massachusetts. I was in campus ministry at the time, never been to New England before except to visit. We, we um, went there and uh, it was a brand new community. We had no friends there. We just had, had a job that we needed to do and we were trying to find a church and uh, we found a, a wonderful church just a mile from our house on the corner of Wilbraham Road and Plumtree. 
Uh, and uh, simple name of the church is called Evangelical Covenant Church of Springfield. And, and uh, I remember walking in the first time, we only knew one other couple um, very casually that went there. And so we were just brand new walking in and uh, we were met uh, by a man by the name of Nils Hackinson. And uh, the Covenant Church is a church with Swedish background. It's a, it was a split off the, the State Lutheran Church. They, they had revival there, and, and many of them were, were, were persecuted and, and minimized in Sweden. So a lot of them came to the States, and a good part of, of that community came to Springfield in the early 1900s, Swedish community. Nils Hackinson, I'll never forget him. He was an older gentleman, and he came up, Big smile on his face. I don't know you. My name is Nils. He had he had that that little lilt that that he still had uh, with 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 the whole Swedish thing, and uh, it was it was just marvelous to meet this man. He welcomed us in. We got to know him and his wife, and these names echoed down in my mind through the decades. The, these older people that that took us in, uh, almost as 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 their their son and their daughter, George and Ruth Carlson, Bertel Abrahamson. Isn't that a great name, Bertel? I love that name, Bertel. Ruby Anderson. Ernie and Bet Betty Signoni, Nelson and Bev Pease, these are people, you have no idea who they are, but they resonate with me because they're people that loved us and took us in. Remember the first Thanksgiving that, that we were at the Hackinson's house, we had no place to, to, to go and they invited us in just like family and we, we, we felt right at home because they ministered to us. So I want to read a story about some older people. It's in Scripture, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, and uh, we will uh, spend a, uh, just a few minutes here in, in this passage. Not, not one that, that you would think of normally when you think of the Christmas story, but it's an integral part of, of this whole narrative of the Advent. Let's start with verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses... Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now skip down, if you would please, to verse 36. We'll meet someone else. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. So here's a story of Advent that doesn't get told very often. Luke, the only Gentile author of, of, that we have in, in all of Scripture, uh, the beloved physician, the, the, the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, he very carefully is considered, uh, even by secular scholars, as one of the best historians, uh, ancient historians ever. He takes uh, the life of Jesus and, and, and the happenings of the early church and records them in his gospel here in Luke and, and, and the book of Acts. Uh, most theologians believe that Luke relied heavily on Mary's 
account and remembrances of Jesus' life or the writing of his gospel. You get special insight that Luke gives that the other gospels don't give. And this, this is one of the instances that, that we have. Here's this curious account of an encounter Joseph and Mary had with two older people in the temple. And I don't know if you just sit back and wonder, and we, we read it and we go, yeah, that's there. But interesting, isn't it that the Holy Spirit would inspire Luke to include just the, this encounter with these two people? Not necessarily significant people, not people of great power or wealth, not people that had any huge impact uh, on, on the goings of, of, of uh, the, the nation of Israel and, and what was going to happen. But Luke records Joseph and Mary's encounter with these, these two people. Two people that weren't significant, but were there to proclaim and reinforce the fact that this child was no ordinary child. <clears throat> so Simeon and Anna are reminders to us that when our faith in God, that, that when we, we have faith in God, we can do certain things and hold on to certain things. They're reminders to us that when our faith is in God, first of all, that our dreams can be fulfilled. Our dreams can be fulfilled. You look, verse 26, again, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That's quite a promise, isn't it? Here's a man who'd waited years, decades, going to the temple. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to leave this earth until I see the fulfillment of the prophet of the Messiah. What was the, prophet, uh, the, the, the prophecy of the Messiah? The prophecy of the Messiah was that there would be a Redeemer coming to Israel who would liberate this land. And every faithful Jewish believer was praying for the Messiah to come, the Messiah to come and to give them freedom again and to bring back a theocracy where God once again would rule their nation and they wouldn't be held captive any longer. And these people were especially conscious of the fact that they were an oppressed and occupied land. They wanted a Messiah to come back and to free them. There's a prophecy in Joel chapter 2, uh, starting with verse 28 where God, speaking through Joel, says these things to, to, to uh, the Israelites at that time. He says, In those days I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Interesting that that text was the text that Peter used in his first sermon in the book of Acts. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. And so Simeon had a dream given to him by the Holy Spirit that he would see the Messiah before he died. Let me ask you a question. What are your dreams? What are your dreams? I've had dreams in my life. I've had things that I've looked forward to, things that I've tried to anticipate, things that... Uh, I, I thought, oh, if I could only see this happen, this would be marvelous. This would be great. What dreams have you had in the past that haven't been fulfilled? We dream about falling in love. We dream about marriage. Dream about having children. Dream about being successful in our professions, living a life of purpose. 
leaving a legacy of significance. I don't know what your dreams are, but we all have them. And sometimes our dreams, we're thinking, I don't know if this is ever going to come to fruition or not. Sometimes they're shattered. I was in eighth grade going into ninth grade when Martin Luther King stood at the Lincoln Memorial and before 250,000 people, as they have the civil, civil rights marks there, echoes the words that we, we were, are, I think most of us were familiar with. These beautiful, beautiful statements. These I have a dream statements. He said, I, I have a dream the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit together at a table of brotherhood. I have a dream my four little children will live in a nation where they'll not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. God gives us dreams. And Advent is a time to be reminded that God allows our dreams to be fulfilled. But I want you to notice something. Simeon's dream to see the Messiah, he had a preconceived notion of what that would be like. Ah, he's going to come, he's going to liberate, and we're going to be, we're going to be taken out of captivity. That wasn't necessarily God's dream. In fact, the whole gospel narrative is, is this enlightenment of, oh, God's plan is far bigger than what we are anticipating, what we are hoping. And sometimes God takes my dreams, has taken my dreams and said, you know what, we're going to not fulfill those so I can do something that's going to be more significant and more impactful. A Herndon campus pastor, Zach Van Dyke, you, you, you know who Zach is, I'm sure. Uh, I love his story. Uh, Zach, when he graduated from Florida State University, who, by the way, now can play in a bowl game because they're 500 for this year, in case you were wondering about that, um, he, he wanted to be an actor. So where do all actors go? They go to Southern California, right? They, they're, they're, they go there to, to see what, if they can make their way in the acting world. And Zach tells the story of going there and waiting tables, and he's married to, to Kelly, and he's, he's trying to figure out how he's going to make this work, and he was a, uh, a failure. God took those dreams, and he broke them. He shattered those dreams. But he says, out of those shattered dreams, I, I had to come back with a bad attitude to Orlando, had to come back and work uh, in a job that I didn't like so God could take my life and move it in the direction that he wanted it to go. Zach's shattered dreams allowed God to build a bigger dream in his life. And so our dreams, when we're, they're given over to God's plan, might not be fulfilled in the way we envision, but if he fulfills them in the way that he wants, it will do remarkable things. Simeon had a dream. And when he, when he uh, finally meets this couple with this baby, and you can imagine, this isn't just an isolated event. There, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of people in, in the temple courts. This is a busy, busy place. This is just, a, just another couple with another child come with these, the, the, the two doves or the two pigeons. Uh, actually, the Old Testament asked for a, a lamb sacrifice, but if you weren't wealthy enough, the, the law allowed you to do the, the uh, much less expensive sacrifice of two young, young doves. And here Simeon finds, he, he sees this, cu this couple. 
So moved by the Spirit, verse 27, when he went into the temple courts and the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, and Simeon just burst into what we would call today song. I don't think he sang it. He said it, but it, it, he, he, he states a song. He, he burst into poetry. Sovereign Lord, as you, may, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the fulfilling and rising of many in Israel, the falling and rising of many uh, in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he says this statement as well, which is sobering to Mary, I'm sure, because she's in awe here. She's just had this young baby. All these things have happened. And he says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The process of our dreams being fulfilled sometimes are painful times. So, this is a re- when we have faith in God, it's, it's a reminder that our dreams can be fulfilled. It also is a reminder that, 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 our, that hope can once again be embraced. Simeon and Anna never ceased to focus on the hope that God had given them. Uh, the descriptions of both of them would lead us to surmise that they weren't ordinary worshipers at the temple. Uh, Simeon was there often. He, he, he was devout. He, he, was, he was a man who was righteous. We talked about Joseph being that last week, but here, here are these qualities again. He, he was correct. He was an upright man. He followed the law. And he was very, very devout and sincere in his worship. And Anna, what, what a curious person uh, she was. She, she was in her 80s, been widowed for decades, and, and she, she basically never left the temple court. She just worshiped and fasted all the time. These are the kind of people that if you were going to the temple to worship, you'd go, do we really want to be with those people? Because they're just a little bit different. You know what I mean? Right? We really want to be cornered? No. These were people that were very sincere about what they believed. They were also people who didn't stop hoping. In spite of their advanced years, Where's the hope died in your life? What things were you hoping for and haven't seen fulfilled? Or when did you even stop hoping? Elie Wiesel, the uh, Auschwitz survivor, made this statement I thought was profound. He says, just as a man cannot live without dreams, he cannot live without hope. If dreams reflect the past, hope summons the future. Hope is about the future. And when you get old, you know that your, your future here on earth is just getting a little bit narrower. Those of you my age, I'll be 68 this month, by the way, know exactly what I mean. All right? We still have a future. Advent is a reminder that hope can be embraced, that, that there is meaning beyond the random and seemingly fickle direction of the universe. God has a plan, and we can put our hope in him. J.A. Packer says the Christian message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, 
hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. So I have a future. However long that might be, I have a future. I have a hope. I have a hope that God can still work in and through my life. And a reminder of that, a couple months ago, I got an email from a wife of a couple that I had counseled. They went through a tough time in their relationship and um, they can't come in and their, their dream for their marriage had been shattered uh, in many ways and they were going through a very, very difficult time. And we began to work and, and pray and, and ask that God would give them direction and they just did, they just uh, saw some really wonderful things happen. So uh, they had since uh, moved their uh, partners at Summit, but they had to move away because of jobs. I got this email. It says, hi, Jim, I hope you've been well. I saw you link on LinkedIn tonight. Wanted to say hi and thank you for all your help uh, when we were really in a tough place. I ended up completing my internship in Jacksonville and it was such a good fit that I created a full-time position once I graduated, very tough. But our marriage grew stronger in the, in the six months traveling back and forth. Last month, my husband was able to get a job up here, and I think it's the perfect fit for him. We miss Orlando and especially Summit. We found a church we think we really like. I'm sure we'll have many more rough patches, but we made it through a really, uh, really rough one with your help, and I'm forever grateful. Those are reminders, and as I share with any person that, with whom I work, I, there's nothing that I did. They, they, they do all the work, and God is the one who superintends and gives the power. God brought healing to a couple. That's a miracle. We can see this hope lived out in our lives and the lives of others. Dreams can be fulfilled. Hope can be embraced. And the last thing is miracles can still happen. Look at Anna. Anna's there and, and uh, verse 38 says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So she, Anna just tells everyone around, hey, this, this child, this is the special child. Most of the worshipers at the temple had no idea None of the miracle that was in their midst. Only two older people understood the significance of this child at this time in this place. Messiah had come. And these two older worshipers, a man and a woman who were on this day, the only ones to see this most amazing miracle that was ever to be, realize you're never too old or too hopeless to witness and experience a miracle. Never. So how do we see miracles? What do, what, what do, we, what do we look at to, uh, and, and, and where do we put ourselves so we can see God at work? Well, I think one thing that is good to do is go back in your life and you see God's hand in your life as, as, as you have seen him work in the past. I think it's good to be reminded of that. I shared with you last week that uh, Christmas is a special time for me and, and my, my family because my parents 
uh, met at Christmas time, 1944. Really, actually, it was January of 1945. Uh, I told you last week, those of you who weren't here, I just refresh uh, the story. Uh, my mother was a single mom with two children, a daughter and a son, uh, doing her best to raise them, struggling, uh, not very financially secure, but really held on to her faith and, and through a couple of church knew that there was a sailor in the South Pacific during World War II that um, was single as well. And, and uh, this couple knew him and loved him and liked him and said, hey, you should write this guy. And so my mother wrote him a letter. She, she in, enclosed a picture of herself. She heard the sailor was short, so she enclosed a picture where she was kneeling down because she didn't want to appear to be too tall in the picture. Isn't that wise? I thought that was really clever of my mom. And my dad wrote, she wrote this like 10-page letter, all her, you know, her life so far, as, as, as much as she could put in that letter. And uh, my dad wrote back, you can imagine these letters going by boat across the ocean at that time. And uh, we finally caught up with her. My dad closed the picture. He's, he's in this, this pea coat and his hat, his Navy hat on the side, his hands on his hips. My dad was cool. And uh, he... Uh, wrote this 10-page letter back. So he promised to be home for Christmas in 1944. My dad had malaria, caught it in the South Pacific. He didn't take his quinine pills, didn't like them because they turned his skin yellow, so he got malaria. So they transferred him to Alaska. That, that'll teach him, right? And um, so it took him a while to get back. And uh, Christmas came and went. My mom, they, her two young kids, they had presents for him under the tree. And... Uh, no, no sailor. New Year's came and went, no sailor. Finally, they got a telegram. And around uh, the end of the first week in January, he finally showed up and they celebrated Christmas. My mom said when, when, when she met my dad, he had a, a malaria attack. He was shaking, had a fever, and uh, his, his, it was, he felt so embarrassed. And my mom said, the first thing I did is I took both of his hands. And I never let, <laughs> I never let go of those hands. The whole night. Sorry. It must have worked because three days later they were engaged. And uh, <laughs> I, it was fast. And my dad was, you know, my dad was in, in his late 20s, early 30s. And, uh, my, you know, my mom was in her late 20s. And uh, my dad loved her, her, her children. And uh, they were engaged to be married in, and, uh, in May of... 1945, when my dad came back on furlough again, they were married in his church, Lutheran church in Ridgeville Corners, Ohio. My mom, uh, when Christmas was done, snipped a branch off of that tree. It was a Douglas fir with short needles. And she just, it was about this big, and she just cut, cut a branch off and she saved it. She wanted to be reminded of the, that Christmas and the miracle that took place that Christmas. And that branch was tucked uh, behind a needle point that hung on her dining room wall for years. And she never, she never treated it, didn't do anything with it. A needle never fell all out of that branch. It just would sit there as a silent testimony of the miracle of a single mom who still trusted God, had a dream and a hope. And a man who wanted, he said, he said, Jim, he said, I, I prayed, I want, just wanted a Christian wife. I wanted a Christian wife. Going through all the travail of, of the Second World War, and he said, and God gave me one. 
a few, few years later, I was born, and then my two younger brothers were born. And that's the miracle of Christmas in our family. Nils Hackinson was the one you always met at the door of the Evangelical Covenant Church. Always. He just, he was the guy who, you were never a stranger. I always loved walking in that church and seeing Nils. Bertel Abrahamson was a Sunday school teacher. He, he was a Finnish carpenter. He just had just was such a skilled man. But he would teach scripture in the balcony of that little church and, and, and our Sunday school class. And I just sit there and enjoy hearing Bertel teach. These men and women who watched our children, who had us over during holidays, who ministered to us when we were sick, who provided for us, always felt welcome there. Scripture records two old people who all they, all they did was they dreamed and they hoped and they saw a miracle happen. So, I'm the old gentleman in the blue shirt. You know, when I first came to Summit, I was quick to realize that this was a younger church. I know the demographic here is probably a little bit older, but uh, Herndon, we're still, they're still pretty young there. When I joined the teach team, uh, that age difference was even more noticeable. Uh, they, they tell jokes I don't understand. <laughs> The clever remarks that I'm not clever enough to respond to. I just sort of sit there and go like this. I just don't know. Uh, mistakes that I make because I'm not in touch with popular vernacular and people just sort of lower their heads and smile and they have to tell me later. I see a church that loves Jesus. I see a church that serves others and seeks to glorify God. You know, God doesn't use perfect people. In fact, you look at scripture and God, you know what God uses? Imperfect people all the time. God uses the underdog. He uses the underachiever, the undeserving, the unknown. He uses the unhealthy. The gospels are replete with these people. Jesus' father is, is just a common laborer. His mother is, is, is just a teenage girl. Jesus interacts with people who are of, of all, they just have all this stuff going on. He interacts with a prostitute, an adulteress. There's a boy with a lunch. In this ragtag group of disciples, some fishermen, former tax collector, a zealot, the world didn't think much of them. It's a ragamuffin gospel, as Brennan Manning says. But it's a privilege for this old man to see Jesus in this church. And I'm still praying for and anticipating miracles. A marriage irrevocably broken, healed by the power of God. A parent and child's relationship restored after years of desolation. An addict's path to total destruction turned around by the love of Jesus and a loving community. A history of brokenness defeated by the grace of God. This old gentleman is still here, and I'm looking forward to the next miracle to happen. And this season of Advent, 
I want to tell you it could happen to you too. Let's pray.